Well, I don't know where you were on uh, New Year's Eve. When I was younger, uh, growing up in New York, I would, um, around high school, and actually I would take some friends here from ENC, from college, we'd go into Times Square, and uh, we'd get there about 9 or 10 o'clock, and by the time you get there at that hour, you're down on like 60th Street or 65th. Uh, You're not anywhere near the ball, and you stand there for three or four hours in the freezing cold, and then you watch the ball drop, and uh, every year, once it drops, as you think, we've been standing here for three or four hours. It's freezing cold, and we just watched an electric ball drop. (laughs) This is stupid. And yet we did it year after year after year. I don't know why, uh, but we did. This year was a little different. Edie and the kids were back in uh, Kansas, and so I came. I actually took a flight home earlier just so I could spend the first two or three days just praying and getting ready for the semester and uh, kind of went on a retreat in my own home. The family was away. The dog was in the kennel and uh, uh, just enjoyed that time. And about 10 o'clock on New Year's Eve night, maybe it was around 10.30, I started getting tired. I'm like, well, I'm just going to go to bed. I wasn't watching television during these days or anything. But I thought, no, I... Let me pray in the new year. I'll, I'll, let me just be in prayer as the new year comes in. And I was thinking, that'll really impress everybody uh, if the chaplain's in prayer into the new year. So I have to, for selfish reasons, stay up so I can look good uh, to everyone that, oh, wow, the chaplain prayed in the new year. Uh, thank you. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, and I, I really don't have a, a resolution um, but there is this overwhelming, um, and it's not even connected to the message, it's, it's just this overwhelming challenge, I guess, I'd like to give to this community. And no one person should make a community resolution. It always must come from community. No one person must make the community challenge. It must come from students and staff and faculty. But just this overwhelming sense that I hope, or maybe I should just frame it as a prayer, uh, and pray that you would be willing to take this challenge on, that we be a community that talks to each other and not about each other. That we be a community that talks to each other and not about each other. That's just this overwhelming feeling and sense uh, that I've had, and I've had it before, that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. So I encourage you to maybe prayerfully consider, is that something that you want to possibly add into your spiritual journey at this time? Not necessarily just in our community, but what about family? I mean, if we think of some of our family and extended family, how often families are destroyed by the words that we say. How often friendships are broken by the words that we say or the posts that we make on Facebook. How often brokenness comes because of the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts. And here's a little piece of advice. I've heard it several times that, you know, there's too much drama in your life. There's so much drama. Uh, Here's an idea that might help uh, take some of the drama out of those situations. Don't talk so much. I don't know. Uh, didn't expect that reaction, but that's, uh, that's uh, where we go. And simply what I mean by that is let us maybe spend more time in silence and listening, not only to God, but to one another. Uh, and maybe we wouldn't be contributing to drama or creating it. So just a challenge. It really, in some way, is not really too connected to the message today, uh, but one that I wanted to at least put before you today, at least prayerfully consider that that's my prayer for us, one of many this semester. We'll be looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, and I think that the way I'll be going this semester, the six, maybe seven times that I'll speak this semester, is we'll begin here in the early stages of Jesus' life, Matthew 2, when he's a baby, and and this semester is very uh, unique, especially the calendar, because Easter is so late. Um, We don't even have a 
well, we have a junior, senior chapel and honors chapel after Easter, but uh, Easter is almost at the very end of the semester. And so I think what I'll do is use the lectionary text. Notice I say think in case I change my mind or I'm struggling with a passage a few weeks from now. No, I don't like that passage, so I'm going to say the Lord gave me another word and I'm going to break from this. But I'm going to try to stay with the life of Jesus and what we see in the lectionary text all the way up to the last time I preach in this chapel on, uh, for this year is on Wednesday before uh, Wednesday of Holy Week. And then the chapels that follow, there's only two after Easter, uh, Honors Chapel and and Junior Senior. So today we'll start in Matthew chapter 2. If you want to follow along, I'll be beginning in verse 13. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. But if you want to turn there, that would be great. And Matthew's gospel, Matthew's depiction of of the birth of Christ, of uh, the early days of Christ, is very unique, very different than the other gospels. uh, Where I believe it's in Luke, we we see the manger and we see the humble beginnings the humble beginnings of Jesus, where actually then in Matthew, we actually see Jesus' name being spoken in palaces and by Herod and kings, and we see the Magi coming and giving incense and frankincense, uh, gold, incense, and myrrh. If that's wrong, correct me later. But we see, we see the, the Magi giving gifts, and we see this, this pageantry. And we also see the writer of Matthew's Gospel doing something very interesting, and in that he's very intentional, trying to show that the Old Testament has been pointing to this moment. Even in the few verses we'll read, we'll see that the writer talks about how it was prophetic. And it's interesting that he mentions some verses that weren't actually necessary prophecy, uh, but the writer uses them anyway for this overall theme, this overall focus that all of this was planned and pointed to from the Old Testament. So will you please stand this morning as we read from Matthew chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 13 to 14, and then I'll jump down to verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. When Her- and verse down to verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream. He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, He will be called a Nazarene. The gospel of our Lord. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. We have heard it with our ears. We have sung of your greatness, how you are Christ the Lord through song. We have sung that this morning. And now by the power of your Holy Spirit, apply apply this text, your word, to our hearts and lives that everyone in this room will draw closer to you wherever we may be on our journey, whatever that may look like for us, to a deeper, better understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. There are some real two simple truths here that I don't want to miss. We see them throughout Scripture, and then there's one that I really want to focus on, a kind of a third point, if you will. And, and the first is that sometimes in our journey, sometimes in our life, God calls us to flee. Sometimes God simply says, run, <laughs> get out, uh, move away. 
And that's actually very difficult for some of us to, to accept. That's very difficult for some of us to, 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 to hear from God because like, no, Lord, I, I got this, really. I, I can handle this. I can handle this. But sometimes God says flee. Sometimes God says leave. So as we see in verse 13, when, when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Verse 14. So he got up, took the mother and his child and escaped to Egypt. Sometimes... God calls us. Sometimes it is God's will. Sometimes it is God's plan for us to leave, for us to go. Sometimes it is God's plan for us to flee. And we, maybe many of you understand some of this, that that because of situations or challenges in your life or struggles maybe that you've had in the past, there are certain situations, there are certain people, there are certain circumstances where it's just not good, it's not healthy for you to be around. And that you must just flee and withdraw from that. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm copying out or I'm selling out or like, no, I'll, I'll have the strength of God. And no, God's saying, no, I'm, I want you out of here. I want you to flee. Because the challenges that you may face in that context or the challenges you may face in that situation are just maybe possibly right now in your journey, they're just too great for you or they're just too painful for you or you're still in the midst of significant healing. So you're not ready to build that relationship again with that family member. You pray, and I pray that you move in that direction. It comes to that point at some place in your life. But sometimes God does call us to flee. Now, often we think it's just because we're not ready for that situation. We're not where we should be spiritually. But there are other times we need to accept the fact that, you know what? Sometimes, well, maybe all the time, God really doesn't need us. I think there's this part of us where we think, no, Lord, you need me to be there so I can do this or I can help that person. You know my friend needs that help. You know my friend needs me in her life or his life, and I'll have to give this up and give that because you know that they need me in their life. And God's like, no, they actually don't. Now, sometimes God calls us to that, often. But sometimes God says, no, that is not your burden to carry. And their hope is not in you anyway. So sometimes God calls us to remove and and to step back to allow God to do what God wants to do. And we can't fully see what is happening. We can't fully understand what may be taking place. And I'm sure Joseph must have uh, had some questions on why he's fleeing and running. I mean, he knew he was to protect the child. He knew he was to protect the Christ child. But why God, the power of God, who sending angels to speak to him in dreams, why couldn't God, the power of God, work in different ways so he's not always fleeing and and being in fear, as we read later in chapter 2 and and, and not being able to find a home, and, and this going on for years. I'm sure Joseph had those questions, but he had to understand, and he had to put his faith in God to say, sometimes God does call us to flee. When we were drawing to a close of our time in ministry on Long Island, where Edie and I were pastoring, and we were coming here to ENC in that long process of trying to decide uh, if we were to come here uh, six years ago this month, I, I remember thinking, I can't leave. The church needs me. The church needs me. The church needs me. And I'll never forget the day to summarize, God was saying, no, Corey, they don't. And we always talk about what God is calling us to, but I'm convinced that we're supposed to sometimes look at things and say, you know, God wants me out of this situation because he has plans for this church. He has plans for this people. He has plans for this community um, that I cannot meet, that I do not have the gifts or talents for. And I need to humble myself and accept that the hope for anything, the hope for a church, the hope for a family, the hope for a community is really in Christ. And, And I think sometimes God removes us from situations. Because God's going to do it in a different way and it doesn't involve me or you. So sometimes God calls us to flee, we see. 
here in this text as we follow Joseph's life. Sometimes God causes us to, causes us, calls us to flee, and sometimes God calls us to wait. This one's even more difficult for some of us. For as Joseph had, had left, as he had followed the instructions, he was to wait until the death of Herod, it says in verse 15. He had to wait. I'm sure he wanted to leave. I'm sure he wanted to go, but he had to wait. And waiting is incredibly difficult, at least for me. I read a book over a break uh, called No Future, uh, No Future Without Forgiveness. No Future Without Forgiveness by Desmond Tutu. And the story that one of, he's published many books, obviously, but that one talks about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that was established after apartheid had broken down and Nelson Mandela was elected president. And, and Desmond Tutu talked about how, in the, in the preface of the book and in the opening chapter of the book, how he fought for years to break the chains of apartheid and set the people free. He got there in about 1975, and it, it wasn't until 94, I believe, when Nelson Mandela was elected and all the great things that happened in 90 and 91, how he and his wife had fought for that and sacrificed for that, and now he's only a year away from retirement. Just a year away from retirement, how they were celebrating. The Lord allowed us to see this happen. Now we can go and retire. Now we can go and rest. Now we can go and just, and just enjoy each other's company and rest and retire. But God said, oh, but wait. Uh, for just a few weeks after Nelson Mandela was elected president, and the Truth and Reconciliation Committee that was established, and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was established, it really is an amazing testimony to the grace of God and reconciliation where they would allow all those who had committed atrocities, who had committed sins, to come before this commission. And if you confessed, if you acknowledged your sin, if you were clear and honest and upfront with all that you did, and if you were under orders to do so, if you confessed that, and you came before this commission, and you were willing to hear the stories of the people of those you hurt, uh, you would basically be, be forgiven. There would be no charges pressed against you. And it is an amazing story of the, the fact that there was no civil war breakout in, in South Africa. It's amazing to see what God did through this truth, uh, this truth and reconciliation commission. But here's Desmond Tutu ready to retire. And, and as he's about to retire, the Lord says, wait. And he gets a call saying, we'd like you to chair this commission. And so for the next several years, as though I, my quick summary may have sounded easy, it wasn't easy, it was very difficult, it was very painful to sit and hear these stories and try to get the bottom and get to the truth of things and, and what does true reconciliation look like? What does true accountability look like? What is not just passing things over but truly holding people accountable but also giving amnesty? I'm thankful because Desmond Tutu heard the voice of God when God said, wait. It is an amazing testimony to reconciliation and the grace of God and what God can do, not just in a family, not just in a church community, but what God can do in a nation. Sometimes God says, wait. Now we often maybe get confused between the two or we often give excuses back and forth between these two. Sometimes when God is telling us to wait, we'll go and tell people, God has released me and God has called me on and God is saying, go and do this and I don't need to deal with that person anymore. I don't need to deal with that situation anymore. The Lord has released me. We often use this released language all the time. And sometimes that's true, but I think often we use that language while we're actually running from God. We spiritualize it. We put spiritual language to it and say, God's released me and God's saying, uh, no, I told you to wait. 
And then sometimes we wait and we stay and we're like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see it through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. This is what God's called me to do. I know he's called me to do in this situation. I know he's called me to be in this relationship. I know he's called me to be in this work context. I know he's called me to be in this mission. I know he's called me to be in this church. And God's saying, no, actually, I've called you. <laughs> I've called you to go on to somewhere else. And we can easily spiritualize our language to try to say this is God's will, but actually it's one way of actually running from God's will. So in the midst of leaving and coming here, Edie and I started praying a prayer, which I still pray today, especially while being here. Lord, may we never leave a day too early. May we never leave a day early than when you want us to leave, but may we never stay a day too long. And I don't know if there's that magic day in our lives of where we are currently serving and what you're doing in life, but I know that sometimes God calls us to wait, and then sometimes God calls us to move. And I want to hear the voice of God in all of those things. So those are two simple truths, just two simple things. We see them throughout Scripture. This is actually nothing new. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard it before, but if we look, as we look at the life of Joseph, we see that that's what's taking place here, a time where God had called him to flee and a time where God called him to wait. So sometimes God calls us to flee, and sometimes God calls us to wait. But at all times, all times, God calls us to be faithful. Sometimes God calls us to flee. Sometimes he calls us to wait. But at all things, he calls us to be faithful. I think sometimes we quickly read the life of Jesus and we read of the Magi and we think of the pageantry pageantry that we miss, the faithfulness of this incredible man, Joseph. A a beautiful model of what it means to be a man of God. In verse 1, we we see in verse 19, we read, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He had found out that she was with child. He hadn't realized that it was by the Holy Spirit. He hadn't realized that it would be a virgin birth at this time. So he had every right to just say, guess what she did? But instead, because he was a righteous man, He did not want to expose her to public disgrace, and he had in mind to divorce divorce her quietly. And again, again, he did not know that she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit, and, and this man of God is still looking out and caring for the woman that he loves, even though he thought she betrayed him. And that the decisions he makes is to care for her and protect her and protect her reputation. He's not going on Facebook or Twitter talking about her. And if he's going to talk, he's going to talk to her and he's not going to talk about her. Well, that does connect, this message. I didn't think that would connect, but there, right there it is. So I didn't see that one coming, so thank you, Lord. But he was still going to care for her and still protect her, even though he had thought, at that moment anyway, she had been unfaithful. Later on in chapter 1, after the angel had visited him and told him what he used to do, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. What did Joseph do? Joseph got up. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. God had spoken through the angel. Joseph faithfully got up, did what the Lord said. Verse 14 of chapter 2. As I had started reading, the angel of the Lord came to him in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child. What did Joseph do? Verse 14. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Verse 21, angel appears. He's got a lot of angel visitors here. Angel appears to him again. Get up, take the child and his mother. Go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. 
What did Joseph do? 21. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Later on in 22, he was afraid to go there, having heard of Herod's son taking over. But having been warned in another dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. If you want to follow a biblical model of how women and men of God are to live, look to the life of Joseph. Look to the life of Joseph. Faithful in all things. Faithful in all things. His main priority in life was to protect this child and and his wife, Mary. And whatever God asked to do to protect the child, whatever God asked to care for the Christ child, Joseph was going to do. And we sometimes miss that because we read so quickly through these texts we think we know so well. He was going to protect the child. Joseph's life centered on protecting the child. Joseph's life centered on Jesus. And though Jesus is not mentioned here, it's always referred to as the child. Again, it's not Joseph's child, but he was to care and love for him as if he was a father. The central character in this text is Jesus. Everything that's happening, everything that's moving, all the pieces at play, all the, all the deception, all the desires to kill, all the evil, all the glory when the magi come, all of that is centering around Jesus. And not only this text, but all of the Gospel of Matthew. And not only the Gospel of Matthew, all of the New Testament centers on Jesus. And not only the New Testament centers on Jesus, but the Old Testament, again, this is why Matthew is written in the way that he does, points to Jesus, preparing the way for the Messiah who is to come. Christ must be the center. Christ must be the center of our lives and the decisions we've made. Christ must be the center of how we choose to live our life and what it looks like to have Christ in our life in the relationships that we have, in the decisions we make. Christ must be the center of all things. You see, Christmas really did happen. Or let me put it a better way. Emmanuel, God really is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. So sometimes God calls us to flee. Sometimes God calls us to wait. But in all things, God calls us to be faithful. And some days it's easier than others. Maybe as we're gearing up for Advent and and you notice the Advent wreath is gone and the sanctuary is no longer greened. It's often referred to as the greening of the sanctuary during Advent. and, And it's not as decorated as it once was. And maybe you've taken your tree out and thrown it in the garbage, or maybe it's still up like it is in our house, or uh, maybe the packages are unwrapped and the excitement is gone, and now we're back to the day-to-day. And not only we're in the back to the day-to-day, we're at the beginning of the semester, and it's like negative 425 degrees out, and, and, and we're struggling, and we come back on Monday. Uh, before you arrived, it's raining, and it's like 50 degrees, which means it's puddles everywhere in the morning, and then I'm walking out of the office, and now everything's iced over, and, and everyone's sliding all over campus, and it's dreary, and it's cold, and it's tired. But you know what, Emmanuel, God is still with us. God is still with us. So will you be faithful in the everyday things that God calls you to do, whether God's calling you to flee or wait or stay? We know a few things that worship is not just during this chapel. Worship is not just music. Worship is not just gathering. There is worship when you enter into your classroom after this chapel. Will you be faithful in worshiping God then? Will you worship God then, even though it's not the end of the spring semester and you're looking forward to the summer? No, it's the beginning and challenges lie ahead. Will you be faithful in worshiping God as you enter into class? Will you be faithful in worshiping God even in those times where you don't understand the homework and and you don't understand the test and you're struggling through the test? Will you be faithful in not looking on your neighbor's paper? 
and trying to have them assist you in getting through this exam, however you term it? Will you be faithful even then? Will you be faithful in your studies? See, sometimes in, in the whole high holy days, which I love, and I love Advent, and I love Lent, I love them and adore them, but we often just focus on the high moments of our walk with Christ, and we miss the day-to-day, and we stop being faithful in the everyday little things of life. Because the concerns and cares are too great. The concerns and cares are overwhelming. And all of a sudden, we gradually lose sight of Jesus, and we no longer center our life in Him. So as we look to the life of Joseph this morning, may he be a reminder to you. May he be a reminder of being faithful in all things, that everything you do is an act of worship. Everything you do is an act of worship. And may Christ be the center. If I was to read the full chapter of chapter 2, you'd see it's almost completely split in half. Almost. The first 12 chapters talk about worshiping Jesus following the star. There's the light of Christ. There's the glory of Christ. It's like the center of worship and the Magi there are worshiping. There's gifts. It's all this beauty and splendor and glory. And then the next 12 to 13 verses are almost the opposite. It's a story. It's, there are verses of those who are rejecting Jesus. We see deep, deep, deep darkness in this text. I skipped over the verses not to avoid them just because they would need a whole other chapel or two where we see Herod deciding to kill all the children under the age of two in trying to search for Jesus. We see deep darkness and evil. Deep darkness and evil. And in this one chapter, it's similar to other parts of Scripture. There is the, the light and the glory of God and the light of Christ, but then we also see this, this darkness and we see this evil at work and we see this rejection of Christ. We see it in this text and we see it throughout Scripture. So the story of Jesus Christ demands us to make a decision. This chapter demands us to make a decision. Either we accept the Christ child and worship Him. Either we accept the Christ child and allow Christ to be the center of our lives and give Him all the glory as we sang this morning, or we reject Him. Either we accept the Christ child or we reject Him. So how do you want to live? How do you want to live your life? Do you want to live your life glorifying Emmanuel, God with us? Or do you want to live your life rejecting him? God was protecting Jesus. God was protecting the Christ child we see in these early chapters of Matthew. And because of Joseph and Mary's faithfulness, we see them protecting the child. But there would come a day when God would step back. There would come a day when Christ would go to the cross for you and for me and for this world so that we might be redeemed. We might be forgiven. We might be set free. That we might be made right with God. Will you accept that gift? Or will you reject it? Will you be like the Magi and bring your very best and all that you have to worship Him? Or will you reject it? And for those that have been followers of Christ for quite some time, will you allow the start of this chapel, will you allow the start of this semester to be a time where you at least begin the semester by saying, you know what, this semester I recommit my life to truly give Him all the glory, for He alone is worthy. 
Will you recommit your life to say, I will dedicate and completely surrender my will and way to God so that he might be praised, so that he might be glorified, so that he might receive all the honor and all the praise. I don't know if Joseph was a Lecrae fan. Probably not. But Lecrae has a good song about taking the background. Lecrae has a good song about how he'll play the background so Christ can take the lead and get all the glory and all the honor. I think Joseph demonstrated that for us this morning. Will you live in such a way? Jake, will you come? Let us sing that song one more time, uh, wherever you are. There you are. Uh, and may, as we sing this song together in closing, I pray that it be your prayer, that be a day, that this be a day where you truly give God all the glory, you truly surrender Him, give Him all the praise. Let us pray before we sing. Would you sing with us? Oh, delays and still not arrived. We pray for traveling mercies for them. As we begin this semester, Lord, may we be a community that truly gives you all the glory. May we truly surrender to you that you be the center of our lives and in our classrooms and in the dorm rooms. We will give you all the glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in peace.